Welcome to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Patton. The Xterra mission is to explore and discuss the business of space and its effect on the national and global economy as well as life on Earth. How does what happens in space affect your life every day? That's what we're exploring on the Xterra website as well as on this podcast. We're welcoming back Dr. Namrata Goswami to the podcast. Dr. Goswami is a strategic analyst and consultant on great power politics, space policy, alternate futures, and frameworks of conflict, negotiation, and resolution. Dr. Goswami grew up in Northeast India. She completed her PhD in international relations in 2005. In 2006, she launched her professional career in academic research, studying great power politics, international relations, and ethnic conflicts. She's also the co-author with Peter Gerritsen of the book, Scramble for the Skies, The Great Power Competition to Control the Resources of Outer Space. Dr. Goswami, thank you so much for coming back and joining us again on the podcast. Uh, thank you, Tom. It's a real honor and pleasure to be with you again. Let's start out with kind of the elephant in the room topic, because Russia has what appears to be kind of an arm length relationship with China in several areas, including cooperation on a proposed lunar base. So how do you see Russia's current involvement in Ukraine affecting that relationship? That's actually a great question to start off. So to answer that question, I think uh, it'll be useful to give a little bit of backdrop of China-Russia space cooperation. So in the last few years, since about 2014, when President Xi Jinping came to power and you had uh, President Vladimir Putin, of course, in power since 2012, uh, China-Russia has actually recalibrated their relationship based on two important props. One is their own national security interests, which includes space cooperation. And second, their perspective of how the international global order is being conceptualized. So both countries view the global order as led by the United States. And in that particular global order, they want to improve their position. So in light of that, what we have seen in the last few years, uh, Russia-China has signed cooperation, not just with regard to the lunar base, but also in terms of uh, exchanging high technology with regard to space uh, expertise and know-how, uh, training of personnel, as well as collaboration in regard to their human spaceflight program. So in that context, uh, in 2021, they launched their uh, Memorandum of Understanding for establishing a base on the moon uh, in 2040. So the time frame is 2036, 2040. Now, does the Ukraine crisis uh, affects that space cooperation? So from what I have seen and uh, looked at in terms of Russia and China's joint statement just before the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, just before the Winter Olympics, actually, in February. So in that particular joint statement, what is so interesting, for the first time, China actually uh, agreed with the Russian position that the conflict in Ukraine is a result of NATO activities and expansion. So given that, I do not think you would see a change in the relationship vis-a-vis -vis space and the space activities that they have uh, kind of highlighted for the next 10 years because of the Ukraine crisis. And so China is not going to, uh, it's actually not going to change its uh, collaboration with Russia with regard to space. 
And it will continue to assert that the Ukraine conflict is because of the strategic interests of both sides. So you wouldn't see a change because of Ukraine. So then why, in your estimation, has Vladimir Putin taken this action at this time? So uh, if you look at uh, Vladimir Putin's uh, history, so it, it's, it's the action is taken today, but the planning for it has been on the actually on the table for several years now. And last year, they started exercising, as we all know, very close to the Ukrainian border with about 100,000 Russian troops. Russia's military actually has about 900,000 troops. And so they used a, a limited amount, but just to showcase their uh, willingness. So why has Russia done this now? So there is a history to this. So if you look at it from the perspective of Ukraine, the Ukrainian perspective, which is a valid perspective, given the fact that it's a sovereign country and under the UN Charter, it has the right to be able to decide which uh, alignment it wants to join. So Ukraine has actually wanted to be a member of NATO for several years now, as well as a member of the European Union. Ukraine views that as a part of its own security guarantee because it's, it was concerned exactly about the kind of situation we are seeing today, which is the Russian invasion. Now, hypothetically, if NATO was uh, or had included Ukraine as a member, then Article 5 would have been uh, invoked. And by Article 5, NATO is obligated to come to the defense of Ukraine. But today, that's not the case. Now, that's the Ukrainian perspective. What is the Russian perspective, since everybody's interested in hearing it? So if you look at the Russian perspective, uh, since about 1998, when the first NATO expansion happened with the inclusion of Poland, Hungary, and the Czech Republic in 1999, and then the second extension, which happened in 2004, with the inclusion of Bulgaria, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Romania, Slovakia, and Slovenia. And then this is the game changer. In 2008, in the Bucharest summit, NATO agreed with the Ukrainian and Georgian perspective that they could be extended membership at some future date. So the Russian response to that, and I think this is something that we need to remember, is that they actually invaded Georgia. As, do you remember it recognized the independence of those two regions, Ossatia and the other one? And so what is interesting is that Ossatia and Akhvesia. So basically the Russian position is that the if border states, especially a big state like Ukraine, which is very strategic for Russia's security, joins NATO. That actually results in Russia feeling threatened. And one of the biggest uh, threat that Putin fears, given the fact that he's not democratically elected, is regime change. So the response today is because of that condition. And I'll finally add by saying that last year in December, Russia put out two draft treaties. One was a draft treaty that they wanted to sign with NATO. And there were two conditions in that draft treaty. One was that NATO should not extend membership to Ukraine. Second, NATO should stop its open door policy, which includes new member states. And then they put out the draft treaty with the United States where they insisted that the US should recognize Russian strategic interests. So if you look at the scenario from both perspectives, uh, Ukraine has every right to want to join NATO. It's its own sovereign decision. But Russia, given the fact that it views Ukraine as a part of its strategic environment, used this particular Ukrainian desire to then instigate an uh, invasion of Ukraine to ensure that Ukraine remains a buffer state. 
between uh, Western and Eastern Europe. Now, NASA has said that operations aboard the ISS are not going to change in light of the Ukrainian invasion. So how do you see the current situation affecting cooperation and competition in space between the US and Russia? That's a great question because I'm trying to grapple with the implications of this too. And we had insight into how Russia would behave in space in 2008 as well. So when Russia uh, invaded and uh, worked towards the independence of Ossetia and Akhbazia in Georgia. At that time, Roscosmos uh, basically uh, told the world that they will not allow Russian uh, spaceport to be used for launches to the ISS as a threat. Uh, because remember at that time, the US depended on Russia to launch astronaut, American astronauts to the International Space Station on the Soyuz model. We did not have SpaceX till then that was able to launch American astronauts. So that was a kind of a crisis situation. So Russia has actually used its leverage in the International Space Station to bring about influence on US behavior strategically. So today it's not very dissimilar. The only dissimilarity is that the US is not dependent on Russia for launching to the International Space Station, but Russia still controls very important propulsion systems on the International Space Station. For example, the fact that it's able to keep its location and not uh, deorbit towards the atmosphere, that's the Russian propulsion system that helps it. And if you see the uh, Roscosmos head uh, is tweeting that if US sanctions affect Russians aerospace capability, then its capability to maintain its uh, propulsion system could be affected. Now, will that actually happen? That's the key question. Uh, we know that NASA has said that the Ukraine conflict will not uh, stop space cooperation between Russia and the states that participate in the International Space Station. But then I would also say that you have seen that the European Space Agency, which is a very critical member of the ISS, has recently put out a statement that it supports sanctions on Russia as well as will stop space cooperation with Russia vis-a-vis -vis their Mars program, as well as Germany just yesterday uh, stopped one of its uh, satellites looking out into black holes. So this is a very complicated situation. On one hand, Russia's uh, capability to actually uh, maintain the ISS is critical. On the other hand, there is the requirement for sanctions that affects the space industry of Russia. So the end goal and situation could be that Russia will exit before 2025. So last year, I think in preparation for the Ukrainian conflict, uh, since they had decided I'm sure much beforehand since they have been practicing for it. Russia's Roscosmos indicated that they will leave the International Space Station by 2025 and build their own space station. So my concern is that with this particular crisis, Russia might exit beforehand and to be able to quickly fill the gap uh, is not going to be easy, especially the building of propulsion systems. You know, looking in, in retrospect back to the Russian test of an anti-satellite weapon last year. Could that maybe have been a warning shot across the bow to the International Space Station partners? 
I think so, because at that time when I was asked this question as to why do you think Russia has tested an ASAT weapon, uh, basically two reasons. One was that uh, Putin in a speech in April uh, 2021 during the anniversary celebration of Yuri Gagarin's first uh, launch to space uh, for humanity, he pointed out that Russia's space development, including its civilian space program, is for national defense and national security. Unlike, for example, the US or India, where you have a civilian component vis-a-vis -vis a military component. China has a very similar uh, strategy for its own space program. It's about national defense, not very dissimilar from Russia. So uh, in that context, the ASET tests basically accomplished two things for Russia. One was that it was not just about showcasing their capability to create debris that could have an effect on the International Space Station, but also a warning shot to the US, uh, basically, that if Russia invades Ukraine, dependent on its space services for uh, out-of-sight force deployment, maintenance of its, uh, you know, 40-mile uh, convoy that we see today, uh, if the US or any other country decides to damage or blind Russia's satellite support, Russia has the capability to do the same to countries that are going to engage in that activity. So it was directly connected to their Ukraine uh, preparation for their Ukrainian invasion. You know, you mentioned a few moments ago the moon base, the cooperation between Russia and China on a moon base. And that timeline apparently has been moved up now from 2035 to 2028. Um, that's according to uh, various reports. So how do you view that relationship in space between those two countries? And do they have the capability to establish a permanent moon base in that kind of time frame, Or are we just looking at more propaganda? Uh, yes, I, I mean, in a sense, uh, I would say that uh, the Russia-China Lunar Cooperation uh, is going to be able to accomplish some of the goals that they have men mentioned but not by 2028, despite the reports. I would think that they would be able to accomplish this uh, between 2036, 2040. So about 20 years from now, which is a long time frame. And I say that because if you look at, especially China's declaration of its space goals, including the goal to send a rover to the far side of the moon by 2019, a Mars mission, establishment of a space station, they actually planned almost all these activities 20 years uh, back. For example, when they talked about their moon mission of 2019, they were talking about it around 2000, which is 20 years ago. The Mars mission, the similar 20 years ago. And so what is interesting is that a very similar time frame has been identified in comparison to their timeframes for their moon and Mars mission in 2021. So the aim is to accomplish this by 2040, 20, 2036, which is about 20 years from now, 15, 20 years. So I would say that they, since they have announced this very openly, they would want to establish such a permanent base and they're building their capacity. For example, China is testing its space station. The second next mission will be to send a rover to the far side uh, lunar South Pole, uh, sorry, uh, by 2024, and then to accomplish uh, 3D printing and other activities in collaboration with Russia. Russia has also announced a moon mission. And don't forget, these are very serious spacefaring nations with their own capacity. So I would think that they would uh, want to accomplish this. And we might think it's propaganda, but then we have to very seriously see how they have accomplished goals in the past. 
And from the goals that they announced, actually most of them were demonstrated to the world. So I would say that they would want to accomplish and try to accomplish that goal. We're talking with Dr. Namrata Goswami, a strategic analyst and consultant on great power politics, space policy, alternate futures, and frameworks of conflict negotiations and resolutions. Take a moment right now and click on subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our podcasts or if you're watching on YouTube, any of the videos from Xterra, the Journal of Space Commerce. Staying on Ukraine for just a moment, Dr. Goswami, a lot of the satellite imagery we've been seeing has been provided by commercial entities like Maxar. How does this affect not only this, but future military operations? Uh, I think commercial uh, satellite imagery is going to play a critical role in the Ukrainian conflict. And we have seen this, in fact, advance uh, much further since 2014 when Russia invaded and occupied Crimea uh, in February of 2014, right? And so uh, Maxer, which of course has a contract with the National Reconnaissance Office, uh, provided us the images of the 40-mile 40 40 long convoy. That's how the world got to know about that. So there is direct implications for military planning as well as uh, intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance. Now, another company that uh, is actually the first company to give us some assessment of Russia's uh, potential invasion of Ukraine was Kapelov Space, which is in San Francisco. And in some of the commercial imagery that it provided, uh, we, we could come to the conclusion, especially researchers looking at that imagery, that Russia's invasion of Ukraine was imminent, right? And so uh, I would say that uh, commercial space uh, plays a critical role uh, in terms of informing and supporting not just NATO's support uh, through the selling of arms and looking at imagery as to which areas that Ukrainian military needs to look at. But it also helps the Ukrainian military, right, in terms of viewing where the Russian uh, military deployment is, uh, what areas are damaged, what areas are still secure. So it's going to play a very critical role. Now, the concern is that Russia just uh, announced that if any of the images and any of the activities are seen as directly supporting Ukrainian uh, military activity, Russia could see that as an act of war because it's supporting a military uh, deployment, uh, a military deployment ability for Ukraine, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's number one. The number two important point is that uh, as Musk recently tweeted, so as you know, Elon Musk, uh, basically in response to an Ukrainian tweet, said that he's going to allow Starlink satellites to be able to still broadcast uh, into some parts of Ukraine. And just recently, he tweeted that given that we have to be also careful because Russia might think of blinding or damaging some of those satellites, right? And so uh, what Russia yesterday or day before tweeted that if anybody tries to destroy Russia's satellite system, they would see that as an act of war. And so you can see that commercial space activity and uh, geopolitical military capability is very deeply intertwined. I'll end by saying that this drama played out with OneWeb, which is a UK space startup, and so and which actually has the biggest stakes in it from an Indian company, Indian firm called Bharti Tel. Right. And so what is interesting is that in that particular case, uh, OneWeb had contracts for Russian Soyuz to uh, launch its satellites. And on Friday, that is today, uh, Russia was supposed to launch about 36 satellites uh, of its 648 uh, satellite constellation is creating. 
And so Russia refused to do that unless OneWeb uh, basically guaranteed that its satellite images, because those satellites, the 36 satellites would have been capable of looking into Ukraine, will not be used for military purposes. And second, it insisted that the UK government has to shell its shares. Uh, in one web. Of course, the UK government refused and now Russia canceled those uh, launches. And so you can see it directly impacting uh, space launch. In fact, OneWeb's almost all its launches are booked on the Soyuz. And now we don't know what the future holds. So you see this direct connection between commercial space capability, military deployment and geopolitics. Will that affect also the uh, ESA, the, the ESA launches that use um... Russian rockets to launch from French Guiana? Yes, it will, because as you know, uh, uh, Russia has now uh, basically uh, stopped its facility in French Guiana and has also uh, taken back its personnel, which supports such capability. And so, and also uh, ESA basically put out a statement saying that it will support sanctions on Russia and that space cooperation forms one of those particular uh, sanction lists, right? And so it is going to directly affect uh, the uh, European uh, Space Agency's cooperation and any future launches with the Soyuz. Now, India's had a long relationship with Russia and was notably one of the countries that abstained from the UN vote calling for Russian withdrawal from Ukraine. And yet, uh, Prime Minister Modi has largely supported the sanctions against Russia. So how might the Ukraine invasion affect the relationship between India and Russia? So, uh, first of all, uh, if you look at India's stand, actually, it's uh, it's something that other others have also noticed as to why has India abstained from the UN Security Council uh, resolution brought about by the US and Albania to deplore the Russian invasion. And it also uh, abstained from the UN General Assembly meeting just a few days ago. So I think the larger strategic relationship has to be understood as to why India took this position, right? So uh, the India-Russia relationship is very deep. And uh, I think one of the most important parts of the relationship is the defense collaboration between or cooperation between India and Russia. Since 2018 to about now, India, Russia is actually uh, exporting not just uh, weapon systems or uh, fighter planes like MiG-29 or Sukhoi-30 MKI, but also the air defense system, which is the S-400, right? And so India is very much dependent on Russian uh, military capability as well as uh, supply or maintenance. And so that's one of the reasons. I think the second reason, which is also critical, is that uh, just last year, India signed a 10-year defense partnership with uh, Russia when uh, Putin actually visited Delhi. And space cooperation also forms a part of that particular uh, collaboration. And so what is interesting is that for India, this is actually a very difficult position to be in. So I must say that Modi has not actually come out and said that he supports sanctions on Russia. But what he has said is that uh, I think he has, in his phone calls with Putin, he pointed out that Russia needs to uh, basically come to a position of dialogue with Ukraine and that uh, cease violence immediately. And also there are a lot of Indian students in Ukraine, about 20,000 Indian students. So they need to be uh, safely brought back. And so the Indian position is very much dependent on its historic relationship with Russia, which is pretty deep. It's uh, 
astronauts train with the Yuri Gagarin Astronaut Training Center, which is Cosmonaut Training Center. And so it's very difficult to suddenly unravel that relationship because then India is left in a lurch. It does not have an alternate defense relationship that offers uh, defense systems for such a cheap price. And secondly, it also is very difficult to uh, suddenly come out and say that it's going to support sanctions because then Russia can retaliate and stop supporting India's maintenance of its aircrafts, its uh, you know weapon system. And so those are the limitations of the relationship. And that explains why India is abstaining. On the other hand, though, India has traditionally been an adversary of the Chinese. So how does the Indian government see now the cooperation between Russia and China on space and some other issues? So I think that's, again, very interesting, because if you look at the book, uh, and I would urge uh, our audience to actually read this book by India's uh, external affairs minister, which is equivalent to the secretary of state in the U.S., S.J. Shankar. So he wrote a book in 2020 called The India Way, explaining India's uh, how is India's foreign policy explainable? Because on one hand, India fears China, especially its border dispute with China, as well as China's activities in the Indian Ocean. India wants to have uh, engagement with the United States, but also it has very deep relationship with Russia, right? And so the explanation he gave is that India's uh, foreign policy behavior is going to be determined by its national interest. And secondly, it will also be determined by a multi-alignment strategy. So you align with the US for containing or for managing China's rise, but then the US is not offering India, for example, manufacturing of high-end technology in India. The prices of US uh, weapon system is very high compared to Russia. And so India requires Russia. Now in that context, this is actually quite fascinating. How does India view Russia-China relation? I think India sees that as a consequence of geopolitics. So uh, given the fact that Russia is threatened by some of the NATO activities, as it points out, and also wants to uh, assume the role of a great power, so it doesn't want Ukraine to have its independent foreign policy, as I mentioned in the answer to my your first question. So I think India is viewing the China-Russia relationship as a relationship of strategic opportunity but not deep-seated or historic as say uh, the India-Russia relationship. But I think India's concern is that given Russia's isolation right now and the fact that Russia would require economic uh, saving, if I may, because of economic sanctions, China might step in. And that would mean that India would actually lose its influence vis-a-vis -vis Russia and Russia would get into the Chinese orbit. And that could have consequences for India's own conflicts with China, right? Where Russia has remained very neutral. And so India has to actually think through its strategic relationship at this uh, critical and actually dangerous moment of international relation. Does the situation in Ukraine and then similarly China's cozying up with Russia strengthen the quad countries resolve to keep China and now Russia in check in space? So if you look at the, uh, that's an alternative for India. So given uh, what's happening today, and if Russia goes more into the Chinese orbit and uh, sees that China is an advantage to have deeper relationship, uh, 
India actually already has agreed to space cooperation in the quadrilateral security dialogue between India, Australia, Japan, and the US. And so uh, you would see that India would want to strengthen space cooperation with the quadrilateral security dialogue. But I think we need to be cautious in terms of how uh, India would actually behave in the Quad. So the Quad is not like NATO, right? So NATO is a military uh, alliance. It has treaties and obligations and Article 5. Uh, the Quad is uh, nothing compared to NATO. It's a security dialogue. There are no obligations for any countries to come to each other's defense. The U.S. has a separate arrangement with Japan for that. And with Australia, of course, it has a very deep strategic relationship. With India, there are no commitments by the U.S. or India to come to each other's defense, right? And so we have to keep that larger framing in mind. But to answer your question in terms of will India uh, basically advance its space cooperation vis-a-vis -vis what is happening with Russia and Ukraine and, and the effect of that, uh, you would see India hedging and wanting to have deeper collaboration in civilian space program. But I don't think India would put out a statement saying that we are going to increase collaboration with Quad because of what's happening to Russia. I don't think that's going to happen, given all the limitations and the strategic uh, concerns that India has, uh, especially its fear that if its relationship with Russia goes down, it will be left in the lurch, right? Finally, Dr. Goswami, what might be the overall effect on space commerce given this international unrest that we're seeing right now? I think there will be now uh, a basic awakening that if you have deep collaboration with uh, countries that uh, view uh, the current international order as an order that they can change by territorial aggression and invasion, this includes China. China wants to actually change its territorial uh, extension, for example, uh, take over Taiwan, the South China Sea, uh, claims on India's Arunachal Pradesh. I think what the realization will be that commercial space activity do not exist by itself, as we would hope, right? So this is something which I find very important to realize that when we talk about space, there is a tendency to talk about space as an inspiration, as something existing by itself, where humanity all comes together, right? That's a hope. But if you look at geopolitics and what's happening today, you see space cooperation unraveling between China and the US, right? Oh, sorry, uh, between Russia and the US. And you see space cooperation unraveling, for example, between Europe and Russia, right? So, and you see this has having direct implication for commercial space activities because commercial space activities are connected to national security capabilities today, right? So in that context, I think that there would be much deeper focus on who are you launching with? What are the dangers of launching with a particular country? Uh, you know, uh, what are the levels of collaboration? Whether a commercial satellite imagery would help an adversary? All these questions will become even more relevant. And I'll end with this. So today we are talking about Russia. Tomorrow, think of a hypothetical scenario where China, who has declared its intention to one day unify with Taiwan, right? And God forbid, it decides to invade Taiwan, uh, given the fact that very similar to Russia, China is also showcasing its military capability very close to Taiwan, crossing the 
a demarcation line into Taiwanese airspace with its fighter jets. Now, if that happens and China's uh, spaceports and launches are being utilized internationally for launches, for example, there are several academic experiments that are going to be launched uh, on the on the Tiangong, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, you have very deep collaboration between China, for example, and Austria on space science. You have collaboration between China and other European countries on space science. Of course, with the US, it's not possible because there is a ban since 2011 for space collaboration. But in the context of Taiwan and a scenario where China uh, invades Taiwan, that basically questions uh, the United Nations Article 2.4, which uh, basically uh, does not allow territorial aggression into another country, uh, you would see that that would also cause the kind of problems we are facing today with Russia, because there are several uh, countries that depend on Russia for launches. And then there are several countries that depend on China for space collaboration and launches. And I think that's the scenario we'll need to keep in mind. And it has deep and direct implication for commercial space activities. I think one of the most chilling things that you've said was the fact that the activities of a commercial entity could be considered an act of war by a, a hostile actor. And that's that's something that, that I don't think anybody really thought about, um, at least in, in the general population, when we all started hearing about Starlink and OneWeb and, and Earth observation and all of those things that it, it, it could have deeper implications. Oh yes, especially because, uh, I mean, in two ways, right? So if Russia decides Let's take a let's 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 take a scenario because we need to grapple with the scenarios realistically. So, if commercial space imagery is helping uh, Ukrainian military, uh, and it is, as we know, uh, Russia could take a decision that this is uh, an act of war, right? And and of course, Roscosmos is stating very hyperbolic statements to deter. But what happens if it actually uh, goes ahead and blinds or damages a commercial space? satellite, right? Especially a commercial space satellite that is registered to a NATO country or to the United States. What will the US then see it as, right? Will it also see it as an act of war? I think these are very serious considerations that we need to keep in mind. And Russia has already announced that if uh, any Russian space system, which is critical for its own deployment in Ukraine, is going to be targeted, uh, they would see that as an act of war. And, and so we are in a very... Uh, strategically important time because a lot of our assumptions about space cooperation, civilian commercial space uh, development vis-a-vis -vis national security is getting questioned because we thought they exist separately, right? Mm -hmm. But actually there are deep interconnectivities. Dr. Goswami, thank you so much. It's been a fascinating conversation and one that I wish we didn't have to have. I agree, but it's important we have this discussion. So thank you, Tom, for having me. Dr. Namrata Goswami is a strategic analyst and consultant on great power politics, space policy, alternate futures, and frameworks of conflict negotiation and resolution. That's going to do it for this edition of the Xterra podcast. Check out our YouTube channel and be sure to click on subscribe so you can stay up to date on developments in space commerce and be notified when we post new videos. You can also get daily space commerce news at xterrajsc.com. And one thing more, be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at XteraJSC. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for joining us.